Hello. Thank you for listening to and watching you at Options. This episode, I have Chris Wren from uh, Bridge Nine Records, Sully's brand clothing. Um, talk about the history of Bridge Nine. Talk about the history of uh, Sully's uh, brand. Um, talk about how like your favorite Bridge Nine artist probably sold uh, Yankee Suck stickers and shirts outside of Fenway. Great conversation. Um, check out, you know, Bridge Nine at Bridge Nine, spelled out um, on social media. Uh, Sully's brand clothing um, on social media. Uh, go buy some stuff from the Bridge Nine store on their website. Um, go buy some Sully's clothes. Ben Affleck wears it, so it's got to be good. Thanks, Chris. It was a great conversation. Um, go follow at you at options on everything. Um, go to thehandsomescoundrels.com slash shop to buy some, some merch. Yeah. Just uh, thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoy. For joining me yeah. happy to <laughs> how is uh how, how, how's the sound it's good. good yeah it sounds fine to me yeah great uh you, you're in your your new store right now yeah yeah figured i'd get the, the wall of vinyl behind me hell yeah how how is the the new store doing it's oh, thanks thank god we're open <laughs> you know we we got the keys a year and a half ago yeah to the space and it took that long to kind of demo renovate build it out um but we're we're very thankful to be open is is this the first bridge nine uh, uh brick and mortar store it is yeah yeah I mean, so we've we've always had you know like a warehouse and an office but we've never had like a public facing retail space so after having been in the place that we were in for 14 years um, I'll give you a little backstory. So we were we were in a couple towns over, and we're just getting through COVID. You know, we had a skeleton crew, and the gentleman that owned the building we had been in for for all those years was like, "I'm selling the building." So we basically found out the new guy was coming in was going to double or triple the rent. So we needed to find a new place. I mean, when we had originally moved in there back in 2007, we had signed a three year lease, and we were there for 14. So we're like, you know what, we're over this space. We want to do something new. Um, the label has, you know, changed a little bit. We want to do something where we're more engaged with the public. Mm. So open a store. Is Yeah. So. I saw there's a video um, I caught before uh, jumping on here of, of you talking about, like, uh, what the store is going to be like. And it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah, how... I guess the label is not slowing down, but like being more concise. I don't know. What what, what would you say? We're we're not we're not going to put out twenty new albums a year like we have, yeah. you know, in the past. But um, and we're still, you know, I don't ever want to be like a, a catalog label. We're always going to be putting out new new releases. In fact, we just announced a new signing, uh, our first in a little while, um, last week. But you know, we wanted something where if, uh, if we don't have a new record coming out that month, we'll come get the, the new one from, you know, Triple B or, you know, Run For Cover or like any yeah. of these other cool records that are, that are on their way up. Yeah. Who, who was the, the new signing? A band called Roll Call from New York City. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I checked that out uh, earlier today. The um, I saw it's got somebody from Outbreak in it, right? That's right. Yeah, that's cool. Is it uh, 
Bridge Nine for like me, I was stoked whenever uh, our friend Peter hit me up about having you on because like Bridge Nine, growing up in Mobile, Alabama, there was like a decent enough little hardcore scene and kind of compounded with like Pensacola, Florida. That was uh, close. And like going on like the mess bridge nine message board was a big part of like how we were finding out like new music and, you know, yeah. And like, I don't know. We, I saw outbreak come through, I think on their failure tour with like youth attack. And I was like, well, these are fucking rock stars, you know? And I was also like, you know, 17, 16 or something. So to me, any touring band was like, fucking Aerosmith or whatever. So, yeah, it's, do you get a lot of, do you get people coming up to you telling you stories like that? Where it's like, Oh yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's wild because like I still am of the mindset of, you know, having just started my label, you know, really? Well, it's, so think about this. Like when I was in my, I remember being 18 years old and meeting a guy that was 23. Yeah. And I was really into snowboarding. And I remember thinking, like, how is this guy still snowboarding at 23? He's you ancient. Know? Yeah. Have, like, this, this per- but, but as you get older, like, you know, I remember when I moved to Boston, I was 23. And the oldest guy in the scene, you know, significantly was 38. Yeah. Right. And like, it's, it was like, it's really cool that this guy, you know, is still coming to shows and yeah. still doing stuff. Um, but it's wild to think 38, you know, right. it's not, it's not old, nah. but at the time and from that perspective, it was so, you know, of course I'm 46 now. So like I'm a dinosaur, I think, compared <laughs> to, you know, to uh, a, someone that's like just getting into it, uh, yeah. but I've always kind of had this where I still feel, you know, like I'm, you know, 20, yeah. kind of like just, yeah, it hurts in the morning when I, when I get out of bed yeah. you know, more than it did back yeah. then. Um, but I still have, you know, you, that, that's the secret kind of, you still keep that mindset and you don't look like when you look, it's basically what I'm trying to say is when I look at like bridge nine, like I still have the mindset that this is like this label that I'm just trying to start and trying mm. to do, you know, and through the years, like I've met people that like the label has been important to them on different levels yeah. and has meant certain things and the pers- their perspective, you know, is, is much different than mine. Mm. Um, so yeah, when I, I love hearing, you know, when people, you know, talk about, you know, bands that have been important to them or, you know, tours that they saw. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and I don't know. And now, uh, it's, you know, obviously the world's so different from when you started the label, like, is it, now is it more just like experience of just doing it for for a while like what's i don't know like um like i guess how have you kept i know this is like a cliche silly question but how have you kept it going or you know you know i mean anything like this even bands are the same way like yeah. they're organic you know they ebb and they flow they have really great opportunities and then they kind of you know like kind of pull back um you know, for us, I mean, we've had, you know, people, I'll meet people that are like, oh man, early 2000s, Bridge Nine, you know, American Nightmare, Panic, right. you know, like, uh, you know, the Hope Conspiracy, like, you know, you know, all these things that we were doing back then, like that was, holy shit, that was your time. Yeah. And then I meet people that are like, oh man, you know, Bridge Nine, late 2000s, like Crown Stereo, Polar Bear Club, mm. you know, Miria, like, you know, uh, The Newfound Glory, you know, like, you know, Half Heart, like, you know, that was, that was your time. And then, you know, a few years later, it's like Death for Dishonor, you know, Backtrack. I mean, we've been very fortunate to have not just been kind of pigeonholed to one moment, but we've, you know, been able to kind of like ride different waves over the years. Yeah. And I think going, you know, going through the pandemic and then being told that we had to relocate and with a skeleton crew, I mean, you know, late 2000s, we had seven or in the office and through the pandemic it was like one and a half right yeah. so we had a couple people that worked remotely i mean i was packing all the mail orders uh, with my partner 
Catherine, we were kind of like just trying to keep things moving. Um, things started to slow down. We didn't have, uh, certainly bands weren't touring. Um, right. We weren't signing new bands. Um, so I think a lot of people were like, all right, what's going on with Bridge Nine? You know, like, what are you, what are you up to now? So for us, it's, it's been kind of like trying to re kind of create what we want to do and change things up a little bit. Um, when you do something for a long time, sometimes it gets redundant and you want to challenge yeah. yourself in a different way. And I think that this was a great, a great opportunity for us to kind of build something physical, you know, because I don't know, I think everything just exists online yeah. for us to be able to build something where people can come and have a sense of community. I think that right now is the most important to me. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, like, I want to be the guy that's like sweeping up in front of the store. Oh yeah. You know, and yeah. like, you know, like, like waving to the, the, you know, the woman in the candle shop across the street and like, Hey, you know, like I want, I want to have like the sense of community. And, you know, I think that was something that there was more focus on after people being, were, were stuck kind of by themselves for so long. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause it's like, uh, you know, you know, better than anybody. It's like sometimes a band puts out something and it feels like they're just putting it out like into the void. And so it's, it's cool to see like, yeah, like uh, putting a face to the label and have, like you're saying, an actual storefront and have people you can like. I can see, like I can, I can go see Chris, you know, at yeah. at the Bridge Bridge Nine store. Um, that was always really important to me because even when I was coming up and I was looking at the labels that I was inspired by, I didn't really know much about them. Yeah, right. I just, I, I just, I knew the bands, but I didn't know much about the inner workings. So when Bridge Nine really got uh you know got some momentum in the early 2000s like we put a webcam in our office in 2002 okay damn we had yeah we had blogs for some of our bands and this is like pre you know all real social media yeah because we wanted to like let people see in right um and uh and and we've just kind of like this is just an extension of that you know now it's like come physically come here you know uh we have records we have t-shirts we have uh you know, we're trying to build something that kind of pays respect to every band that we've worked with that's, you know, come, like, come before this. Yeah. Mm. Are, are you going to do, like, a, a Boston hardcore uh, little uh, museum shrine thing? I don't know. <laughs> you know it, we'll, we'll definitely have, you know, uh, stuff from our history. Yeah. Um, ephemera and, 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 you know, like, behind me that, American Nightmare Banner that was, right. I painted that. Oh, know, damn. In the spring of 2000, you know, for the band to have, you know, behind the drum set. That's cool. Um, and I, I ended up, we, you know, I think they used it a handful of times and I held on to it because I was roommates with those guys. Yeah. So we've been hanging up in various warehouses, you know, over the years. And I was like, I need to showcase this because I think it's cool. Have, so, yeah, stuff like that. Have you, uh, I'm not like a, big sentimental guy but like have you kept stuff like that throughout the years from from bands like stuff specialty yeah yeah i've kept in fact i kept all the mail orders from the 90s really so like i i have like boxes full of mail from people you know sending in a buck for a catalog or writing me a letter yeah to uh when they when they order a t-shirt damn yeah so you're you're ready for a uh yeah, to have a bridge nine uh, th- through the years. Order. Yeah, but I mean, there's people that still mail order from us now, you know, online. Yeah, that used to send us cash in an envelope in the nineties. <laughs> okay. So, like when we did a, we had a box set of uh, kind of paying tribute to our first nine years that came out about five years ago. Yeah, and there was maybe nine or ten people that mail ordered it that were nineties, nineteen nineties customers. So I went, found their original letters, photocopied <laughs> them with like the, you know, the envelope and, yeah. the, the, and then wrote them a personal note on the back because, you know, the fact that they were supporting us in the nineties and then coming back, you know, over 20 years later and supporting us was very significant to me. Damn. Yeah. That's, that's how you keep going. People still care. So that's, <laughs> that must, yeah. that must feel good to be like, Oh shit. Somebody from 20 years ago, 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, do you remember like what the first 
like for some of those people, can you, can you rattle off like what somebody got in in the '90s of a an order? Yeah, so we we I mean in the '90s we we only put out I think it was four seven inches, so like oh, yeah. one a year. Like you know the label started in '95, first record came out in '96, and then it was like one a year. Yeah. Um, but we sold a lot of t-shirts. You know we had a lot of different and especially kind of kind of straight edge themed. Yeah. Random t-shirts and. I remember I put an ad in the Victory Records catalog. Nice. And that hit every single person. Like literally, we got, you know, I got mail order from 30 different countries and, you know, all over the, all over the U.S. from that one little ad. Yeah. And it was a lot of people that were like, hey, you know, because we didn't have a website. We didn't have a catalog really. So I would just photocopy whatever we had currently available and make a little like a flyer. And then basically say, send me a dollar and I'll mail you our, our updated catalog and a sticker. Yeah. And I mean, we, thousands of those went out. Damn. So, wow. but I did have one kid. It was funny. Uh, a couple, maybe, I don't know, two years ago, I had a kid send me a photograph of his uh, yearbook, like uh, from when he was a senior in the nineties. <laughs> and he's okay. wearing one of our, like kind of this anime girl straight edge t-shirt that we had made. Okay. And he's, he's like, Hey, check this out. This is cool. Like an hour later, I mail, I, I, I sent him a photo of his mail order for the shirt. Damn. That's cool. So kind of a, a fun full circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it shows that you like, obviously y'all care. It's like a passion project or like, you know, it's, it's your life bridge nine, but it's all, you're also passionate for it. It's not like, yeah, just send me your order or whatever, you know. You're, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's never been a job. It's always yeah. been something I've been stoked about. Yeah. So the um but Sully's your uh clothing, your other yeah. clothing venture. What uh that's been a, I didn't realize that's been around for a long time too. Yeah, so that that started in the spring of 2000, so, you know, 20 22 years, which is wild, but basically um People didn't realize, and Sully's is kind of known in the Boston area, um, but nobody really knew uh, the connection between the two brands, between Bridge Nine and Sully's. Yeah. Because um, we never really pushed it. We never really promoted the fact that they, they both existed. So I would meet people that were half heart fans that would wear our Believe in Boston t shirts yeah. and not realize they came from the same warehouse. <laughs> so, you know, for. The, the, the Genesis story um, of, of how both brands came together was um, when I was trying to put out more records, I didn't have any money. I mean, I was working as an artist in Tower Records in their art department, yeah. making window displays. And I was making $7.50 an hour, which was actually better than minimum wage. But like after you pay your rent and, right. you know, whatever else, there's nothing else to go into like investing in a band. And that fall, um, I moved in with two of the guys from American Nightmare, mm. and they had started the band. They had recorded their demo, and they wanted to do a new, you know a seven inch. And I was like, I'll do it. Yeah, you know, my roommates and my friends. But um, my job was to figure out how to, how to pay for it, right? Like, yeah, you know, pay for the studio, pay for all the, the promotional materials, and, and basically everything to give them a push because they were the first band that I was working with that was ready to just drop everything and tour. Mm. Um, so I, what I ended up doing was I went to Fenway Park, which was only about a mile from our apartment with friends and sold Yankees suck like bumper stickers <laughs> yeah. and made a that basically kind of riffed on the rivalry with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. Because yeah. you would have Fenway Park with 38,000 people every single game right. a mile from your apartment. And as these people leave, I mean, that's a lot of people. So, you know, I was already making all this kind of stuff for the label. So it was just like, all right, I'm going to make some, you know, stickers and patches and enamel pins and then go down and sell this stuff out of a backpack to these crowds of people that left. And the first night I made more money than I had from my regular day job (laughs) for two weeks. Like my whole paycheck was smaller than the, the cash that I made in this one night. Yeah. So that became our go-to. And basically 
all the people that were selling this stuff outside of Fenway Park were all Boston hardcore punk fans. Yeah. And people that were in bands, people that were, you know, uh, all like part of that community. So we just went, sold a ton of this stuff, took all that money and put it into the record label, put it into American Nightmares record, and then put it into all the stuff that came out after that. I and mean, for the first five years, like every dollar that I made outside of Fenway went straight into the label. But after a few years, we realized like, this is a, almost a better business than the label. So <laughs> yeah. like, let's, let's not just have this be like this weird kind of behind the scenes thing. Let's make its own brand. And so Sully's brand was born and Bridge Nine just coexisted for 20 years, yeah. you know, in, in, in our warehouse. And like, you know, one side was Bridge Nine, one side was Sully's. Um, we would do mail order fulfillment, shipping to stores, you know, for, for both brands, but not really talk about the connection between the two. So when this opportunity to open a, you know, a retail store presented itself, um, I mean, the building we found is symmetrical, literally one whole, the left side is dedicated to music and records and stuff you see behind me. And then the other side is just dedicated to kind of Boston sports kind of centric clothing that Sully's makes. Yeah. So have has anybody from like the Red Sox or I saw you have like uh some Bergeron shirts uh have any athletes reached out and been like come on like I don't yeah, know try to be like we it's funny so we we've had some we've had some some great shirts that we've done in like you know, like as part of a collaboration with athletes you know yeah. uh, most notably we made a so Joe Kelly was a pitcher for the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, later, he's originally from you know the Cardinals. Then he went to Los Angeles. L- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but um, he uh, was pitching for the Red Sox, and it was April of 2018, and um, wasn't really a fan favorite yet because I think he had blown a game early in the season, yeah, you know, like a few weeks earlier, and he went out there during this Yankees series, and um, basically. Uh, a, uh, you know, a, a brawl started, you know, on the, on the field. Um, and he was, um, what's it called? He, he ended up, you know, getting punished for it. And, yeah. um, but while it was, you know, under review, I think he had like five games. He was able to pitch while they kind of like went behind the scenes to kind of figure out how to, how to deal with it. Um, we made a t-shirt that said Joe Kelly Bike Club. <laughs> nice. You know, the, the fight was on Wednesday night. We had the T-shirt headed in Fenway Park the, the next morning, so literally like printed it that, that you know the very next morning, and uh, people bringing it down to to sell to with vendors that we worked with um, outside of the stadium, and then also gave them to all the magazine vendors that we had a relationship with. Mm-hmm. So all all the people selling magazines when you go in, you know when you're walking up to the stadium, were wearing this shirt, and you know long story short, it got into the stadium. The news, like the the news uh, camera, caught it and like yeah. featured, um, and it became this viral sensation. So I reached out to to Joe Kelly through his wife at the time on Twitter and was like, "Can we use this to, you know, to to help your charity?" Uh, because they had just announced uh, his wife, you know, had seen like, "Oh wow, people love Joe now. Let's let's <laughs> gotta let's, start. Let's push it yeah. So we you know, reached out to them. They were like, this is awesome. Their whole family had already ordered the shirt. Um, nice. And we, we kind of made it an official t-shirt and, and, and sold it for, you know, the whole season. And I think they ended up raising like 30 grand for their charity, you know, with using this t-shirt as, as a kind of a value add. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've had, we've had a, a really good relationship with a, with a lot of players where we've kind of been able to collaborate on shirts. Um, you know, we've also had some ones. I remember I was doing a, a golf tournament and we had a member of the Bruins, not Bergeron, but we had a member of the Bruins uh, walk up and uh, and one of his buddies was like, hey, do you ever see any money from these shirts? And then, like, we're, t- we're talking, you know, it would be like, you know, pennies. Or know, fractions stuff. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, they've been drinking all day. So yeah. he's, like, he's like, yeah, where's where's my money? And he's like, you know, Sully's, what the, you know? And, yeah. And uh, it, was, it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Y'all are moving units. I see the shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is a uh, is there like a uh, living or dead like dream uh, Boston athlete that you would want to do some a uh, collaboration with? 
that hasn't popped up? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Carlton Fisk, mm. you know, would be cool. Um, I don't know. We, we, we definitely, I, I, I want to do some throwback designs. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there'd be an opportunity to do something there. Yeah. Do y'all have like Ted Williams shirts? You got frozen head Ted or something? I don't know. I remember I, somebody did make, you know, a frozen head shirt. Yeah. Um, back uh, no, we we never had one. Is that is that a true story? Did his kids really? Yeah, as far as I know, I mean, that's that's what I heard. Damn. So how long you grew up in Salem? No, so or I, where I you, yeah. from Central Connecticut. Oh, okay. Um, was uh, left there to go to school in Vermont. Yeah, and then I graduated from college, moved to Boston. Um, two of the, the two of the bands that were active at the time on Bridge Nine in like '98 were both Boston bands. Oh, okay. So I'm to Mission Hill, uh, which is a neighborhood in Boston, and I mean there was probably a dozen kids from my high school that I, you know they're all into hardcore and punk that that had settled there. So I joined them. Yeah, the uh, it seemed like the right move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've growing up where because uh, you know boston obviously you know you know huge uh sports history especially in the 2000s um yeah. so like uh, are you die hard everything boston now yeah so i i was the town that i was in in connecticut connecticut's kind of split down the middle mm-hmm. boston to Fenway, you know, to, to catch a Red Sox game with my dad. And, you know, I've got, I was fully, full, full Red Sox fan. Of course, until I found skateboarding and I was like, I don't like sports anymore. Nah. <laughs> because in Connecticut that, you know, that, and I'm in most places, there sports and, and punk rock didn't, didn't mix. It's true. You know, of course I come to Boston and it's like, it's always mixed. Yeah. You know, I mean, even bands like SSD Control, you know, the, the guitar player had, you know, Boston Bruins stickers all over his guitar. Man, man, slap, so, uh, slap shot. You, know, you got yeah, ten yard fight. I mean, ten yard fight. You know, I mean, not not only. To, I mean, a band like like Slap Shot, obviously, like Choke is a, a legitimate, you know, hockey fan. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have a band like Ten Yard Fight, where it was more ironic. I mean, they weren't yeah sports fans, but it was kind of like almost punk to be like to like something that other people didn't like. Yeah. I guess um, more irony, but. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always been a connection with Boston sports and and punk rock. I don't know if it's the you know the um, proximity to the stadiums, to the venues, and to where you know punks would congregate. Actually, I remember you know hearing stories. So the the, the kind of the, the 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 one of the more important venues in Boston was the Rat, and that was right next to Fenway Park. It was like a block away from Fenway Park. And I remember hearing stories about Red Sox fans that would leave the stadium after a game, win or lose, drunk, and they would start fights with punks that were congregating on the sidewalk outside of the Rat at a Sunday matinee, you know, or a show on like a Saturday night. And they would give out these little mini, or they, like, if you went to a Red Sox game, you might buy one of these souvenir baseball bats. Oh, the tiny, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a billy club. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically a billy club. And they would, I mean, you know, you get these drunken Red Sox fans that would leave the game, you know, like, like, you know, the Red Sox just lost and they've been losing for 80 years. Yeah. And they've got, they've got this baseball bat. And of course they, they, they run into, and let's say this is like 1987. They run into some guy with a mohawk, you know, a, a fight ensues. And uh, and so punks were uh, oftentimes on the uh, receiving end of of uh, you know vitriol of yeah. Red Sox fans, and I thought I was so for us to be able to kind of go in there and say, all right, now we're going to basically monetize the situation. You know, we're going to the, the punks like uh, the Kenmore Square kind of punks kind of left in the late '90s because the rat closed. Okay. Um, but when we came on the scene in the spring of 2000, 
you know, it was dozens of hardcore kids that were now hanging out, half of them selling to, to, to Red Sox fans and then the other half just hanging out because it was something to do. And that's where all the, you know, people in bands and people in the scene were kind of, kind of hanging out on a, on a random Tuesday night. Um, and so to be able to kind of flip the script and go from, you know, being on the receiving end of. But yeah, so uh, Sully's is kind of like a, uh, we're taking it back. We're taking, we're taking, you know, kind of sports and, and punk, uh, and, you know. Pretty, pretty, I mean, we still kind of have, I mean, there is still kind of a, we don't, we don't really cross promote the two, but this gotcha. retail space, this retail space now kind of is an opportunity for people to come into kind of our universe and, and see like the music that we're involved in. And then also, you know, the, uh, the, the apparel and stuff that we've sold over the years. Uh, whenever Sully's was, whenever you're starting to like really sell stuff, did it ever cross your mind to be like, Ooh, what if I make, they don't know it's me. But yeah. we're we're making New York. We're now we're making Yankees. You know, Red Sox suck. You know. I wouldn't. I, I don't think I would have ever done Red Sox suck. But I did. I. Yeah, I mean, you, this is 15 years ago. Like I was like, all right, I've got Sully's tees because we call it Sully's brand now, but originally we called it Sully's tees. Okay. Like let's do like Vinny's tees and have like, uh, you know, get like. Uh, somebody like you know merch now or somebody in yeah. New York to do to build a store and do fulfillment. We just you know it, it was something that we joked about but never did. I mean I you know I, I want to focus on everything Boston. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I like it. Yeah. You, you know that would be like a uh, I don't know. There's some store like you know the Alabama and Auburn rivalry are huge yep. everywhere in Alabama and so there's stores that sell both like you know. Auburn sucks or they, you know, they call, um, they call Auburn a cow college, you know, as a inflammatory. Yeah. And then they call, um, Alabama people booger eaters. So, you know, it's a, it's and there's a, somebody probably making a lot of money selling t-shirts. Oh yeah. 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 You know? Uh, I saw, so you've gotten, uh, Ben Affleck is a fan uh, of y'all. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's been very cool, and that helped us, quite honestly, to get us, you know, through the some of the quieter times during the I pandemic. Um, he had used our brand in that movie, The Town. Oh, okay. Um, so that came out in two thousand nine, and 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 you know he's wearing one of our Believe in Boston shirts in the movie. Oh, okay. Um, we had an uh, another shirt that Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner wore in the film. And, also like all the like slain had one of our shirts in the scene and a few other people um in the background um but we also made their like, we became their go-to print shop for like you know their the boston fire department shirts they needed some like oh next day. i gotcha so yeah we, we printed that stuff too i mean i remember one day they they hit us up when they were working on the film and needed i guess they had ordered these hockey jerseys and they needed something printed on them but they, no one did it yeah. and they're like we have everything plan like everything set up to film this scene tomorrow but we don't have it like can you do this for us so we, we were able to print them for them and like drive them to the you know to the where they, they needed them and um but so being in that movie and of course you had no idea what it was going to mean right like yeah like it's just this random movie we're like oh this is really cool you know obviously ben affleck at the time is a, is a huge star like that's that's very cool yeah um we don't know you know if it's gonna matter or do anything but you know the, the movie ended up being you know uh being viewed really well and and uh it was it was a cool movie and yeah and uh, our brand was pretty prominent in it so it was like christmas for us and we had you know like i mean we were selling these the, the few shirts that were prominently placed in the film we were yeah. selling like hand over fist and so that was that was sick now fast forward to you know april of 2020 and the whole world has stopped um but that was also the 10th anniversary 2020 was the 10th anniversary of the film mm. so i put together a package of t-shirts um of, you know kind of boston centric sully shirts and and mailed them to him and said it's been 10 years since you included us in your film and i mean it's We've never forgotten that and appreciate yeah. it. And like the next week, 
somebody texted me uh, a photo of him, uh, you know, like the paparazzi photo of how wearing one, one of the shirts. And, uh, and so he, he, uh, he, he uh, gave back to us and like rep the brand a lot during yeah. that time. Every time he left the house, it seemed like he was wearing one of our shirts, like multiple times. Yeah. Um, so that was very, that was very cool. And then fast forward to the spring of 2021. So like a little less than a year later, we start hearing that Ben Affleck is going to be filming a movie in the area and, you know, in the, in the Boston kind of Beverly where we're you know, kind of our area. And we're like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like maybe we'll get a chance to, to thank him in person. We get the keys to this new building for our, for our like record store space and our, our warehouse on a Friday. And then on Monday, we get a phone call from the location scout for that movie Ooh. saying, we want to use your building in this movie, which was like, what are the odds of that? So like they, uh, it's the movie was called the tender bar. Um, okay. George Clooney film, Ben Affleck was, um, was, was starring in it. And they basically, they looked at 30 different bars in Massachusetts to film this, you know, to kind of, to have it be this bar in the movie. And out of all of them, they chose the one that was right next door to us. Nice. So, yeah, so that was sick. So, so basically, uh, you know, we had the opportunity to, to meet him when they filmed the scene, thank him for repping the brand. You know, he's of course, since, since then, you know, repped both bridge nine and, and, uh, and Sully's pretty hard, which is, which is incredibly appreciated. Yeah. Uh, but it just seemed like the weirdest uh, alignment because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was really cool that he was wearing our brand, but like to have our building, like, it's not like they just, I mean, they actually changed the whole front of our building to look like a 1970s um, photo developing like Kodak place. Okay. So they, they, they rented the space. They had the uh, wardrobe, the extras, um, COVID testing was all done in our space. Yeah. Um, so to, to have that cool kind of like opportunity where he was repping us, but then also to be in the film just seemed like crazy. And then also for me, having just committed to this building, which was like the biggest move like I've ever made in terms of like stretch, you know, like trying to make it work. Yeah. It definitely seemed like the universe was saying, all right, you're on the right path. Don't sweat it too much. I would think so. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. You need, yeah, you need, uh, you know, have people, uh, like the amoeba, like what's in my bag, you know, video series. You need to get Ben Affleck in your store. Just do it. A what's in my bag of bridge nine. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, obviously now, I mean, cause when he was filming the scene, this building was kind of a shithole. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we are the third business in the space in almost a hundred years. Damn. It was a yeah, it was, so hopefully that bodes well for us. But it was a car dealership from 1930 to 1963-64. And then it was a glass company from 64 until last year. Same okay. business. And we got the building from the glass company, but they hadn't updated anything in 60 years. I mean, like literally, there nothing had been painted. The electrical in this building was all fuses and like they had pennies. You know, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, like, there was a drop ceiling in here um, and the windows only went like seven feet up, but the window space went 11. So like they had kind of retrofitted them with these like modern windows, but like not use the full space. Okay. So that's why it took us so long to, 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 to renovate it. But I mean, so basically when they were filming this movie, I mean, this, this place was, was kind of shitty. And now, you know, we have this pretty rad record store. So you know, certainly, yeah. Come back if you're, if you're in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. What was the uh, what was the most frustrating renovation part? Because that's a big building, and like, I imagine like commercial uh, renovation is might be a little bit different to where there's more like protocols and you know uh, stuff you you can't kind of like just sweep under the rug. Yeah, I mean, so there was a lot of things that I didn't plan for yeah didn't expect i mean you know the they say it's going to cost twice as much and take twice as long it did <laughs> um you know so that's that that rang true but like all these things that you just never think of um and i didn't have a team of people to help me right right you know it was it was in the middle of covid and we committed to the building in the summer of 2020 and 
didn't get the keys because we until spring of 2021, but we had to, you know, petition the city to change the parking. Um, basically, when you have a, a commercial building with no on-property parking, um, they assign you a number of like parking spaces that they think you're going to use yeah. based on the amount of business you have. And if you change that, then you basically have to go to the city and say, can I have like two more spaces? You know, damn. It's, yeah. You know, because they say if you're an office building, you're going to have one employee for every 200 square feet or whatever it is. But if you're a warehouse, it's only one for every thousand. So like, oh, shit. you know, you change it and you, and it, they think it's going to be more of a burden on parking. You basically have to go to them and say, can we please change it? But of course that means hiring a lawyer, having multiple, you know, city, city meetings. Um, they approved us, yeah. but like, it was like, it, it was like, it cost so much money. Like it was just something that we didn't, didn't like plan on. Right. Yeah. You know, and then of course when we're taking, you know, when we're uh, renovating the space and we're, we took the ceiling, the, the, you know, the drop ceiling. I mean, the, the ceiling was basically below that banner. And Damn. now we have like five more feet. So yeah. it's, 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 it's a nice open space. But when we were uh, pulling back some of the layers, we realized, oh, like the rust on these lintels over the windows is a lot worse than we had realized, right? There's some things you just don't know until you really start pulling things apart. And basically, we had to hire a structure, like a structural engineer, have him come in and say, yeah, that if you keep this this way, the front of your building could fall on the sidewalk in five years. <laughs> so we had to hire, you know, a mason and a steel worker and like they had to basically replace the lintels and, and you know, weld everything shut and put like a four inch um, wide steel post in the middle of the windows on both sides. And like, I mean, all this crazy construction that like you just didn't, you know, when I was like, yeah, we're going to move here. I yeah. didn't realize that, that was going to be um, part of what we're going to have to uh, shoulder. So like, that's why if, if, if you or if anyone has seen um, like on my Instagram story for the last year and a half, I would post these uh, daily updates of the, of the work that was being done in the building and a, a large part of it I was doing. You know, I had uh, uh, help with a gentleman who's actually his birthday today, Larry Kelly. He was uh, is somebody that has been part of this process with me, kind of like, you know, helping renovate this space. But like my budget was blown from window, you know, uh, like structural repairs. And we had to convert um, our driveway to something that was ADA, uh, you know, compliant. So, uh, okay. like, you know, there was this building was built in 1929. Uh, so they didn't, you know, there was right. no handicap access. So we had to like cut a window into a doorway and like, lower the driveway from driving into the building, which we don't need to do, but had been like the way the building was built and make it into a loading dock and like make it so that people could use a handicap access, uh, wheelchair access into yeah. the side of the building. Um, but again, these are all things that like we didn't budget for. <laughs> so, you know, basically anything that was cosmetic, uh, any demo, any, anything in painting, um, you know, all that stuff, I end up basically on, on my shoulders, yeah. and through Larry and a few other people that were that that helped, kind of volunteered some time to to help us tackle this because otherwise this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you know, like it was just too big a project. Just you know, in our sh- short you know time of encounter, you seem like a uh, a positive ish person. So, was there any any moment where you're just like? Man, this this just ain't happening. I mean, you know, I, I it's kind of. I mean, there's definitely where there's a will, there's a way. We're, we're like, yeah, we're yeah. Just we, we our backs against the wall. We have to figure this out. We we need to make this work. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly on paper, like looking back, it's like, oh god, what were you thinking? You know, <laughs> right. like, yeah. I remember walking into this building after the closing, and I have the key, and it's been completely broom swept, cleaned out from the you know, the prior owner. And I mean, it's peeling and like dusty and like falling. I mean, like it's, it was just like, if you go back and see some of the photos that I posted from when we first moved in, it was like, it was depressing. 
Mm. I actually had a couple, couple of uh, employees for both brands that left at the, right around that time yeah. because it seemed a little crazy to like take over this space and then build it out. Um, and I think people were worried like, oh, is this, is this where we have to work now? Because it, it was, you know, it, it, it was a step down even. Um, but now it's like an awesome step up. So it's yeah. just, you know, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of stress and a lot of work. I mean, it definitely aged me, you know, I definitely <laughs> have more gray hairs because of it, but, um, failure was never an option. It was always yeah. like, we just to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Cause you're like, all right, we already got the building. Um, yeah. did you, did you find any, uh, weird artifacts in between like, oh, this glass company was, I don't know, doing like occult rituals or something. I don't know. No, no. Nothing no, cool. The, glass company, the, the owner, the owners of it are, you know, he's a perfect gentleman, him and his wife. Um, and, uh, and they're still in business. They just moved to a, um, like a less on main street kind of location because they're doing more commercial work. But, okay. um, I did find a lot of evidence of the car dealership that had predated them, which was very cool. You know, above the bathrooms, like the, the bathrooms are like this big warehouse, with like 14 foot ceilings. But of course the, the bathroom only has like a, I don't know, a nine foot ceiling. So there's about five feet of space above it. And, you know, once we got up there and kind of looking around, we found all this mail, like, promotional mail yeah. and it's like catalogs of car for, for this car dealership, like how to sell, you know, like, like this model of vehicle. Yeah. You know, so that was just cool just to see that. And I kept a lot of that stuff. Um, I found like this, you know, service area sign, like a hand painted service area sign, probably from the fifties that was behind a radiator yeah. that, you know, was no longer in use. So when we cut the radiator and removed it, um, the sign was just chilling back there. So like, that's something that I want to frame and, and, and put up. And that's cool. I found like this hundred year old wooden screwdriver from when they built the building, <laughs> like above one of the ceilings, just like, it, it was, it looked like a, like, it was like a murder weapon that had been placed. <laughs> a shank. You know, yeah. Like up there, I'm like looking at it, like, why is this even here? Like, you know, it's just cool artifact. So a wooden screwdriver. It was, it was a wooden handled. Screwdriver. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, clearly early the early 1900s you know um you know uh 100 year, 100 years old um but then also like the the steel beams that the building is kind of built on there's like these big you know like kind of like steel beams and nobody had ever cleaned them i mean there was they painted them at some point in the basement, but like the paint line, like went above the dust line. Okay. And so when I'm like wiping, I'm cleaning, I'm just like cleaning everything. And there's a penny up there. And I pulled a penny down. It's from 1920. Like this penny has been chilling for a hundred years, like on this beam. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, a testament to like the kind of the condition we found the space in. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the, the, there was just nonstop painting and scraping. I mean, my daughter would make fun of me. She's like, so like, what did you scrape or paint or sand today? You know, yeah. it's like, cause that was what I did for months. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's, it's, it, uh, it seems like a, an undertaking for sure. Yeah. Definitely yeah. did not realize what I was getting into and I would not want to do it again, but I'm glad that I did. And I'm, I'm hoping it's, going to build a foundation to do like the next cool thing. Yeah. Uh, are you always like entrepreneurial thinking of like, what's a, another thing we can spin up like another cool. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's kind of like my whole life. Like since I was like 13, like, yeah. I've come up with things that I could do that to, you know, kind of, um, Usually it's not so much to try and make money, but just to try and do something cool yeah. and then build it. Right. So like, you know, one of the things that I've been, I'm right in the middle of right now. So it's, you know, we're recording this in, in the middle of October and we're in the middle of Halloween season in Salem. Yeah. And I lived, I, I just recently moved one town over to Beverly where, where Bridge Nine is now, but um, for 20, almost 20 years, I lived in Salem mm -hmm. and my daughter has been raised in Salem and when she was six years old, she's, I mean, she is a prolific artist. She was always drawing. So we would go to a coffee shop down the street 
uh, in the mornings and she would sit and draw and we'd hang out and play games. And I took some of her drawings and made a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had never been interested with Sully's. We would do like kind of regional stuff, but I never made anything Salem because there's a million Salem shirts and right. it's a, the bottom price wise. If you wanted a $5 Salem shirt, you can find one. Wow. So, but I thought, you know, let's do something cute with her artwork and make like a Salem shirt and see if anyone is into it. And so that October is like right before Halloween went out with them and set up like, you know, a little kind of table, you know, uh, actually we took her lemonade stand and made it into like a t-shirt stand (laughs) and sold out of them. Like, just like that, just that weekend, all gone, all the friends and family that I had hoped would buy them. to like kind of like me a box of shirts. We had to do a pre-order for a second printing so they could get them. Nice. So basically, um, I used that opportunity with my daughter to show her like, look, if you take your art and you do something cool that you can create your own opportunities. So she was six when she drew them. She was seven when we first went out and sold this stuff. She's now 11. So it's our fifth year um, where we kind of are developing her own little brand. And I mean, she's got a whole website full of enamel pins, t-shirts, patches, you know, like, I mean, coins, like we, we yeah. made all this cool souvenir type stuff for people in Salem. And like right now, I mean, we're basically every weekend we're, we're downtown, you know, with like a, a table just selling the stuff to tourists. That's and, cool. Yeah. I saw, yeah. I saw the, uh, Georgia, right. Yep. That, yeah. There's on the Sully's website, there's like a drop down. It's like designs by Georgia or art by Georgia or whatever. I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So like that, I mean, that was just one thing where it's like, all right, you know, I, I'm passionate about this stuff. She's really creative. Like, let's see what we can do with it. Um, you know, and, and, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to do something to create something cool. Yeah. Um, and that was just an opportunity to do something with my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The designs are cool too. They're, you know, it, it's, it's not just like, you know, a dad being like, look at my daughter's stuff. It's like, yeah. it, you know, it's cool designs too. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, she's talented and, yeah. and, and like, it's, we've just carved out like our own little niche there, you know, like, there's just nothing else like that there. So, and I mean, it's, it's, there's so many people that come to Salem um, already, but like this year is off the hook. I mean, there's just, just mobs of people. Yeah, so, man. All right. We deal with all this craziness. Like, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's the you know the new hocus pocus movie just came out you know yep. it's, it's october people are starting to get out from their their covid holes you know just being cooped up wow stars are aligning yeah that's cool um well yeah we've almost done an hour chris uh what i had just some bridge nine questions i was going to fire off if I may. No. Um, what was there a release that bridge nine almost put out that you just, you couldn't put it out, but you're like, fuck, I really wish we could have put that out. You know, there was, there's definitely been bands where I like, I, I remember comeback kid was one yeah. that was interested, um, really, you know, really early on from yeah. their first record. And, um, and I, you know, I was already, working with a band that I thought was too similar. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I mean, there were other bands that I, you know, that I've, you know, tried, tried to work with, you know, that, uh, I came close, but, but, but it didn't work out. Um, I know that you had Frank Turner. On, yeah. yeah. On your, you know, he was one that I, I mean, I really, I love, I mean, that he, he is, he's like one of my favorite artists and yeah. wanted to work with him back in 2009. And, uh, actually sat in a, in a tour van with him trying to t- pitching him, trying to turn, get the deal. Him. Yeah. I, I went to England with Polar Bear club and they were cool. uh, supporting, uh, they were, they were, they were on tour with Frank. Um, and, uh, and you know, basically like, uh, you like sick of it all. I put out a seven inch of sick of it all. Like let's, let's, let's make do this. this. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, and it didn't happen. Obviously he had a really incredible opportunity, uh, that, that, that happened for him. Um, but we kept in touch and I would still go out to all the Frank Turner shows that I could when he was in the area. Um, he actually, uh, kind of, uh, in a roundabout way helped 
this happened, um, you know, and back in 2009, when I was trying to, to sign him, uh, he played a friend of mine's backyard in Beverly, like here in this the town that we're in. Okay. He, uh, this, uh, this guy, Matt Pike, he's a, a booking agent and um, Frank was opening for the offspring um, and was going to sleep at Matt Pike's house. So he went to so Pike, went and got him, brought him back to Beverly and said, would you mind, you know, playing, a, you know, some songs for friends of mine. Yeah. And, you know, like the phone calls kind of went around and it was maybe 20 of us that ended up in Pike's backyard. And Frank very graciously performed like, you know, half an hour set. Yeah. You know, a whole set uh, to basically the Bridge Nine, Death Wish, and like Converge kind of like crew. Okay. In this in Pike's backyard, and I filmed parts of the show, like the performance, with a digital video camera, and you know, just didn't ever do anything with the tape. I just put it in like a shoebox. And yeah. really, twelve years later, when we're you know getting pushed out of our building and we got to move and we're like going through everything trying to like consolidate, I, I found these tapes. And I was like, oh shit! Like, you know, I wonder if I could do something with this, and I this move was such a big kind of undertaking. I wasn't ready for it. So I thought let's try and create like um, almost like a mystery box or like a vinyl release that where people could help us kind of make this happen. Yeah. So we went through and found five recordings that had never been on vinyl um, and pressed them as like this package. But one of the records was uh, this live recording with, with Frank. So um, I, I had it mastered and I sent it to him and said, you know, told him what was up, told him about the move and, and, and trying to open this record store and said, you know, it's kind of a, it's a lo-fi recording. You can hear kids in the background. Is it just the audio from your camera? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, but it sounded, it sounded, it sounded, it sounded cool. Yeah. I, sent it, I sent it to him uh, and, and, he, and he, he was like, yeah, this, this, this is kind of cool. It's a cool moment. Um, yeah. It sounds fine. Um Let's do it. So we, we pressed the seven inch, uh, didn't announce that he was a part of it, but like included it in this, this mystery box of records. That's cool. Um, and then did press a cop, like a, a, a variant for him to sell on his recent uh, U.S. tour. So we gave him copies. So, you know, to kind of thank, you know, thank you. Let's thank you for letting us do it and give him something to, to, to make with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so him playing in Beverly 12 or 13 years ago, kind of came full circle with us opening a record store in Beverly. And I mean, he could have said no for a hundred different reasons. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and totally, you know, been nice about it, but uh, I mean, he had a new album. He had a lot of other things that were in the mix that were happening at the same time, but he was like, yeah, go for it. So we were very, very nice. thankful. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Uh, I was shocked at how like reachable he was <laughs> for me. Yeah. Just like, I, was, I found an email address and he was like, yeah, I'll do your podcast. I'm like, just some Joe Schmo, you know, uh, on the internet. Yeah. 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 He has a lot of qualities. Uh, he has a lot of the same qualities as someone like E. Mackay. Yeah. You know, uh, which is like, I wish there was more of that in, in the scene, but the fact that there are people like that, that, you know, are available. Yeah. Just like so humble. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially somebody like at his level of like uh, notoriety or people, you know, know who he is, you know, outside of just punk kids or hardcore people. Um, yeah. 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 That's a cool story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seems like a good, good way to, to end this thing. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I had to go back and listen to a bunch of bands, bridge nine bands, uh, whenever getting ready for this. And I think, yep. I don't know if I may interject myself. I think I like getting oxygen tank. I don't know. Yep. That might be just cause Pencil. yeah, that was like when that came out, that was like, I was like the, I felt like the target demographic of like, this was made like for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, that was a Boston hardcore band in the early two thousands. And I mean, yeah. all those guys sold, you know, Yankee suck merch outside of Fenway park. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a real like moment. Yeah. Mm. You probably don't, you probably like 
you wouldn't I wouldn't ask you like what your favorite Bridge Nine release is because I'm sure like I mean we've put out over 300 releases which yeah is wild, like wild to me but there are records that are I mean so we're doing a silver edition series right now yeah it started um, as part of our 25th anniversary um, where kind of like silver anniversary we're doing like silver vinyls silver covers um, you can see a couple of them behind me um, basically repressing uh, prominent albums bands that and releases that were pivotal for us um either because they you know they were uh, uh obviously a big seller for us or they were like you know a, 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 like a, a release that was just a, a like a real moment right? yeah like so american nightmare um was the first one that we did and it was their year one 12 inch basically the both the original seven inches and just did it all silver treatment um but that was, that's, you know, that's a record where that was, they were my roommates. They were, um, uh, I mean, I went to their first like 20 shows, yeah. you know, went to their first West coast tour, the first European tour. Um, so that was uh, a very personal album for me. Yeah. Um, but then like stuff like, you know, terror, um, you know, putting out their first, you know, kind of the, the lowest low EP, um, death for dishonor. I mean, you know, that was a band that they are such a hardworking band and have been around now for 20 years. But they were also like, I mean, we, we did a music video for them and it was on MTV, like on Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, I think it was the first record that ever was like on the Billboard charts, which was kind of wild thing for us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, I, you know, I've got my top 10. I mean, I, I, I probably won't na- name it. Nah, you don't have to. I, I mean, I need a few of them. Yeah, yeah. No, we can, uh, we can, you can tell me number one off, off podcast. Uh, but yeah, damn, Chris, yeah, stay on for a minute. Um, thanks for doing this. Uh, you, uh, Happy to, thank you. yeah, uh, hell yeah. Um, you had options, but you decided to talk to me. I appreciate it. Happily. I appreciate your interest. I, I of course. Care and, uh, you know, excited to do it.